So I'm gonna go into the intro now. Alright, get it. listening to Hip Squared. I'm your co-host John Beecham. And I'm Troy Kramer. And this is American Fantastic's pop culture podcast celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Staying busy, but uh, gotten a bit of a break from last week. I know last week was very stressful for the both of us. So Yeah, well, it's hard work. I mean, I'm a new dad. You're a new college teacher. teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a new person working two jobs. So. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a it's a hard-knocked life, but um, I'm glad we do get to come together and um, share our ideas about all the pop culture we've been consuming. Yes. And uh, all the things that kind of, like, take our minds off of the daily grind. So I was trying to think of this. Does pop culture, like, mean that it has to be relevant right now or recent or anything? Um, well, I guess it kind of depends. Like, I think there's different layers and substrata okay. of pop culture. I think there's, like, the really mainstream kind of mm-hmm. pop culture that everybody consumes. And, like, I know as someone of a snob, like, I can look down on that a lot of times. Like, okay. Like, everybody knows what America's Got Talent is and, like, Dancing <laughs> with the Stars, and that's considered pop culture, but I would never... Never consider never that. Dame. But what I'm trying to... What I'm wondering is, like, is, is things that are classic, things that have been out for a long time that are maybe not relevant now, but were relevant at a time, yeah. that's pop culture? I think that's pop culture. I think anything that people have an awareness of that is kind of like on a level that's not just ultra obscure and like local to one scene okay like anything that you can look up on the internet is pop culture well perfect then uh what i'm going to talk about today is in fact pop culture so we can talk about it on the podcast go ahead yeah (laughs) i give you permission Um, troy thank you (laughs) uh so i've been reading a book over the last probably month or so just like every night before i go to bed i'll open up Read a few pages of a Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. Okay. Um, which is about as general of a topic as you can get. You yeah, can get. It kind of sounds like somebody who didn't exactly know what he wanted to write about, so he just decided to like <laughs> write about any topic that came to mind. Like today, I'm going to write about koala bears. Or... <laughs> yeah, just kind of like move, like just kind of kind of cover cover everything. So, uh, really quick, what it's about is it's a. Um, kind of a science history lesson about the world. Okay. Um, the first few chapters go through um, kind of the Big Bang, how the, and I'd say the world, the universe. Okay. Uh, it goes through how the universe was created, how, um, what else? Universe was created, kind of how atoms work, um, mm. and more importantly, um, the discovery of those, of how we figured all that out through the different okay. scientists. So it's not just... A description kind of like on the nuts and bolts about how the universe works but how people like, like Galileo and Isaac Newton and like right. people actually or like other scientists figure this right like, and okay. you, as you read you'll know um you'll notice a trend that there's a lot of names that you're like oh I've heard of that number from this scientific principle or you know, maybe you haven't but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of names that's like I've never heard this name before and he goes into detail and this happens a lot that people tend to discover something and then either because they weren't able to tell everyone else, it doesn't get found out yeah. for years later, or, uh, yeah, or just, like, they didn't, or what's also incredibly common is somebody will figure out something, and then somebody will figure out the same thing at the same time, and person B will um, be a super rude person and say, yeah. person A doesn't know what he's talking about, I figured it out first, and person A will be a nice person, yeah. and just kind of get screwed over in the deal. I can, <laughs> I can understand that, because 
I know there's a lot of things on the internet about like the rivalry between Tesla and Edison. Yes. And how they kind of made like sometimes parallel discoveries, but because Edison had like I guess was way more of a um, jerk. Jerk. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that. that's a nice word. And he had like connections and things like that. And but I guess like that kind of thing has happened all throughout history, where like mm-hmm. when but it's kind of strange too, like when you're talking about people that discover things because. Like, some discoveries are named after people, but then, like, it's, like, their whole human existence is, like, just boiled down, like, like, the, per- <laughs> like the Pythagorean theorem, like, I'm sure mm-hmm. Pythagoras had, like, you know, flaws and, like, really great <laughs> characteristics and, like, a loving family, maybe, but then, like, I mean, you know, like, probably, like, music and wine, but, like, really the only thing I know about Pythagoras is, like, he figured things out about triangles and how yep. they work. <laughs> <laughs> he got that one equation for the triangle, and now his name's on it. Um, the one that I found, found was interesting was Avogadro's number. Okay. Which you may have heard that. It's <gasps> it's the number of atoms in a mole of a substance. It's like 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd power. Yes. Yeah, high yeah. school chemistry. Yeah, like. that's, pre- that's pretty much exactly <laughs> what it was. So Avogadro's number, yeah. um, fun fact, not figured out when Avogadro was alive. Okay. Uh, it was discovered later, and then they just associated the number to him uh, because he worked on, like, he worked vaguely in yeah. the same field. Isn't it like... They measured a gram of carbon or something, and then they counted all the atoms in that gram. And um, that's, and there's some weird like measurement that it's associated with, but yeah, I'm I feel bad because I think they describe in the book how it happens. Yeah. And any scientist, anybody that actually knows how it happens, will be like mad at my description. <laughs> but they were able to figure out. I think it's with hydrogen, the number of atoms of hydrogen in a cubic centimeter. Okay. And then that, and then associated that to everything else that just seems really tedious like there's some guy he's got like a pair of tiny like little molecular tweezers well like one two like (laughs) yeah so you can't actually count the number of atoms in that area (laughs) it's uh it's really weird i you know what it probably is is they took the this is just a guess they took the some unit of the hydrogen atoms in a cubic Mm -hmm. centimeter some unit of like helium or oxygen mm. atoms in a cubic centimeter okay. and then by comparing those we're able to figure out and so if they knew the atomic number of them that would tell you how many new there's a yeah. lot of weird math that would yeah. require yeah okay. well it's good that these people figured it out so it, yes is it like kind of so each section kind of describes like one of these discoveries and how it relates to things yeah so it'll kind of it'll move through these discoveries so it's like first we discover Oh man, I'm I'm trying to think of a good section in the book to like go through the Okay, so there's Einstein's universe, science red tooth and claw, stonebreakers. Okay. So I'll talk about a different aspect of what they do, which is they talk about uh, Yellowstone, because that's, that's okay. the one I've been reading most recently. Right. Um, and they're, it's not so much discoveries. Well, it is discoveries. And they'll talk, they talked about Yellowstone because first they talked about plate tectonics, okay. um, which is the concept of continental plates and plates and the crust moving around on the top of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, they talked about you know rifts that cause and the magma and the core inside the Earth. Um, and like who discovered that and how they discovered that. Okay. From there, they talk about more specifically volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about Mount St. Helen and when that blew, like what it did to the environment around it. And, yeah. Um, all the horrible like destruction that caused from that. And then they talk about Yellowstone National Park, which in case you didn't know is a volcano. 
I didn't know that. I know Yellowstone's the one in California, right? Uh, I think it is. No, I don't no. think it is. It's not there's in California. There's one big it's one in, in the... Wyoming, and then there's one big one in California. I think it's the one in Wyoming. Okay. We could look it up later. I'm sorry for whoever <laughs> actually knows this and going <laughs> and yelling at the... Uh... So, so when they talk about Yellowstone, they talk about kind of like all these different discoveries that relate to different features. Yeah, so the, the one on Yellowstone was interesting because... So Yellowstone's known for all of these steam vents that like pop up everywhere. Oh, Old Faithful and all that. Old Faithful is like okay. the the reliable one, but there's yeah. so many so many steam vents. I think they said it has more steam vents than anywhere else in the world combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk about this, and essentially, it's the top of a. When they first were looking at Yellowstone, they were wondering where is the corona for this? Where mm-hmm. the corona is like. Okay, you think of a volcano, you know the pit in the middle where all the lava's coming out? Yeah. So that's what a corona is. Like where, like, inside the crater? Yeah, the rim. The... Okay. Um, they're looking at Yellowstone, it's like, where's the corona for this? So there's all these steam vents, there should be, like, a volcano somewhere in here, mm-hmm. um, and, like, all these steam vents are on the outside of it. No, it turns out, like, the whole thing is that the corona is, like, the whole of Yellowstone National Park, all, like, 200 mi- square miles of it, is a the center of a volcano. So... I didn't realize that. So all of Yellowstone Park is like the rim of a giant volcano, and then instead of like one gigantic lava pit, it's like all these little steam vents like right. poking through. Right. And that's okay. And that's how all that geothermal energy comes out. Mm-hmm. So the concern is, um, theoretically, since it's a volcano, it could blow. Yeah. Um, and the concept of if Yellowstone National Park, like, if that volcano ever did blow, mm-hmm. it would take out most of the western part of the United States. Wow. Just from the ash cloud that it would form and all the environmental, like, hazards and death yeah, heard that would that, be resulting. That that's one of the big, like, dangers of, um, like, the, the basically, like, the huge ash clouds getting in the way of the sun mm-hmm. and, like, keeping the sun from coming down and like yeah like feeding yeah the all the plants die and then they can't clean Jeez. the air and is there people with like the little um seismographs in like some station somewhere like keeping an eye on that so they is talk that... about that okay and that you know this they are keeping an eye on all this stuff yeah. the problem is is that it's just so inconsistent we don't know a what to mm-hmm. look for and b if we did see what we need to look for we wouldn't know yeah. necessarily like that it was it yeah you <laughs> because it has like... volcano it has earthquakes all the time mm-hmm. like the that site has earth like very small earthquakes all the time but that doesn't mean that it's going to blow anytime soon yeah and you can't just kind of like plug a cork into it and <laughs> keep it from exploding <laughs> right right it's an area that's around 200 square miles wide that's neat so so when um so when Bill Bryson goes into the section, he kind of, like, will take one subject that's familiar to people, like mm-hmm. Yellowstone as a national park, but then delves into, like, all these, like, areas of knowledge that lead into that. Right, right. He'll talk about, you know, he, he tends to focus on the interesting stuff. You know, we can talk a lot about Yellowstone National Park and mm-hmm. uh, all its steam vents, but he's talking about, like, the big picture of, you know, what if the whole thing blew? The other thing he talks about is asteroids. Yeah, uh, I know that's well. That's the thing. Like the people theorize the dinos- the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. It was like all of the stuff that got a lot of it was like all the stuff that got kicked up mm-hmm. after the asteroid came down, which is like the big issue. Right. Well, he talks about it in yeah. a short history of nearly everything. Okay. And uh, what sparked this was somebody made the idea. There was a for a time there was a crater 
out in I think Nebraska mm-hmm. that was filled to the top with like this really ashy uh, residue, and they were thinking it's like oh maybe this was the one that killed the dinosaurs, and they had people going out and looking at it and like looking at the thickness of the layers and if that where that layer of ash corresponded to mm-hmm. when the dinosaurs would have gotten extinct and they figured out it's like no it's not it and this this was a crater that was on top of it or underneath a city mm-hmm. so it was like two miles or like two to ten miles wide i don't remember exactly mm-hmm. and they're like no this isn't it well they found out later that the actual crater is like 200 miles wide and it's in the ocean wow so yeah it's kind of fascinating to think about how like humans have spent so many thousands of years building up these like very complex societies mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like the dinosaurs like they were around for millions and millions of years and then yeah just like one little uh hiccup in the system mm-hmm. and then like it's an apocalypse or it's like some kind of crazy yeah well that's what he i mean he he mentions that in the book a lot that like all of this stuff it's like you know we're it, and i think he does it for dramatic flair a couple times yeah. it's like oh man this is supposed to happen every 600,000 years, and, and this, we're happened. at 700,000 years, and I think he does it for dramatic flair. Yeah. But uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, eh, any of these disasters could happen well, at any time. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, it's kind of not worth worrying about, because, A, you can't do anything about it, and, mm-hmm. B, like, on a geological scale, a human lifetime is, like, the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. So, more than likely, whatever bad things are going to happen, they're probably not going to happen during your lifetime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you, you really just shouldn't yeah. worry about it. You'll be worrying about nothing because there's nothing you can do about it anyways. Speaking of close science stuff, I did um, see a trailer for the new Bill Nye show yeah. that's coming on Netflix. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of eager about that. I, I really like, because science is fascinating to me, mm-hmm. but because I have a very limited skill in mathematics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just never, like, I kind of got to where I needed to get all my requirements in high school, but in college I didn't take any hard science classes just because I was too intimidated by the mathematics. But I still really am fascinated about learning, like, all the conceptual things mm-hmm. and, like, how the discoveries were made and also, like, you know, how, like, all the things apply. And I think that's, like, people like Bill Bryson or people like Bill Nye, they can take these, or, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson is yeah, that's person, the other one. take these really complex ideas and then like distill them to something that you can understand and like apply to your own life yes or it's... like at least like increase your understanding of the world mm-hmm. so when people say things like the earth is only six thousand years old you can point at them and go and that's shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you know yeah yeah because the it was, what, so i'll mention one more thing the mm-hmm. first good like quarter of the book yeah. is He's discovering all these different things, and each time he keeps going back to a same premise of, okay, we're trying to figure out how old our Earth is, mm-hmm. and the ranges in years that they, he gets. It's like at first somebody uh, like theorized that the Earth was 13 million years old, and everyone at the time thought that was ridiculous. There's no way the Earth's that old. Um, currently, our estimation, and this, I can't remember if it's for the Earth or for the universe, is around 14 billion years. Yeah, I think that's for the universe. And I okay. think the Earth is like 2 billion or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. So, it's, yeah. Well, that's a cool thing about like science is like, you might not be able to apply a lot like to how you live your day to day, but just kind of like, it can give you an awe, keep you in awe of the universe and like mm-hmm. appreciate how incredibly complex things are like just like when you look at a blade of grass in your lawn like it just looks like this simple everyday thing but then when you think about like all the 
eons of evolution mm -hmm. and like everything that had to happen before to get to that to point. get to that point it's just anyway yeah so i will i will finish this up with uh a short history of nearly everything by bill bryson good book it's also pretty funny yeah. um he's a, he's a comic writer so you'll read you'll read a lot of parts about him talking about people who were jerks and stuff okay. things it's a it's a good read i'm, I'm glad i'm it. glad it gets into the human side of things too because i think mm -hmm. when you can involve human foibles that can make yeah, these, like, complex ideas really, really mm -hmm. fascinating. Well, um, what I would like to talk about this week is something that is not um, scientific at all. Okay. But um, I'm okay with this. So, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Sonic Dash and Mario Super Mario Run. Run. And kind of just about, like, mobile games in general and how um, they seem like they're, like, fun diversions, but they don't have a lot of the meat that, like, your traditional like console games right. or like, computer games would have. Well, I uh, theorize that a genre that would work really well on a mobile device would be the Japanese role-playing game, JRPGs. Okay. okay. So I did a little bit of research, and I found one that I, I do like a lot. It's uh, it's called Symphony of the Origin. Okay. Which is kind of funny in and of itself, because sometimes like JRPGs will have... <laughs> it's almost like English. Like they, It's like, well, this phrase sounds cool, but then it's like, it doesn't mean anything. Nope. Like, <laughs> like Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy. Yeah, but like, so Symphony of the Origin, it's just kind of like... Um, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but, but but basically what the premise is, it's it's like your basic medieval kind of fantasy world. Okay. And like every other JRPG, there's like some horrible evil force that's unleashed um, mm -hmm. at the beginning. These are, in this game, it's called the, um, the Evil of the Earth Elementals or something like that. Okay. Basically, what the idea is, is that there's, like, all these monsters that live under the earth okay. that have been unleashed by the forces of evil, and then the um, the humans, the dwarves, and the elves kind of band together to uh, fight against them. For yeah. Forces of evil, I will mention, sounds like a great metal band name. Yeah. Go ahead. It could be. It could <laughs> be. But because it has... So, like, on one hand, the game's design and aesthetic is very traditional. It's very much, like... Lord of the Rings or um, any other kind of like epic fantasy novel that you would read. Mm -hmm. But then because it's very Japanese, it has like all of these like anime touches. Okay. So um, there's a J-pop soundtrack that's really cool. Of course. <laughs> and like, so when you boot the game up, um, and I don't know what it is about J-pop, but it's like every anime intro, it just, they get embedded in your head. Like they're, yes. they're earworms. So the trick with... Um... That I've noticed with watching any kind of anime is you watch the as I watch the intro once mm -hmm. and then never again yeah. because they're either they're either like get stuck in your head really easy or they're just awful. Yeah. There's one uh, anime called Akagi, mm -hmm. which is a anime about mahjong, which in and of <laughs> itself is hilarious. But uh, the intro for that for the first season is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, just like awful, awful music. Not not K-pop at all, but I know where you're coming from yeah. in terms of the... It's the... just very catchy, kind of, like, pop music, but also very, um... Like, it sounds like something that was made for 12-year-old girls to listen to. <laughs> Not that that's yeah. necessarily a bad thing, but it's just kind of, like... I think it's funny that... I don't know... I don't know what it is about anime where that... I guess they're just, like, trying to pull in that young teen audience mm -hmm. because that's going to be the people that consume it the most. Mm -hmm. And it te just tends to be more of an upbeat genre yeah. than yeah, a lot of true. other ones. It's always, it tends to be more um, optimistic. Yeah, I, I can see that. And the other thing that's cool about um, the music in the game, like, there's, 
it's very it's not like old-fashioned um bleeps and bloops okay it's like a lot of like guitar rock and so like when mm. you get into a battle mm-hmm. there would be like the heavy like the the hardcore <laughs> like heavy metal rock and roll music going on okay um and then like yeah there's kind of like the very melodic sort of like ethereal music you so, know. so the music sets the atmosphere the music like... sets the atmosphere and there's a lot of like and like every character that's in the game has an anime portrait to go along with it okay so, like, your main here character is, like, the insecure young man named Ryle. Okay. And then he has, um, it kind of reminds me if anybody has seen Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. But it is, like, a walking suit of armor. Okay, yeah. But this walking suit of armor isn't, like, there's no human inside of it. He is called a golem. Okay. Golem. Yeah. And, uh, basically, in this universe... They're like the dwarves and the humans, like engineer, like the instruments that they use against the evil forces mm-hmm. are these like animated magic, uh, like things pulled from the earth, but and, they're sentient and given life. Okay, so it's not like they're automatons that'll just do whatever you like, they all have their own personalities, mm-hmm. but they also are self aware. So, like, they know it's almost like a fantasy version of like advanced AI and robotics, okay, because they definitely have souls or whatever you would call that. Uh huh. But consciousness. They, yeah, but they're, like, self-aware, too. So, um, and, then, and then the funny part with Ryle and Dionas, I guess, is how you would pronounce the uh, golem's name, but they have this funny interplay with each other where they're, like, Dionas is always kind of giving Ryle grief <laughs> and telling them, like, oh, you're not good enough at this, or, like, you're still learning that. And so it's very much, and, like, Ryle is, um, he's, like, this young, ma- like, hot-headed young man so he's just very easily provoked. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the comic relief comes in, is, like, <laughs> people giving Ryo... So it's, it's somebody calling him chicken in Back to the Future. Yeah. And him, like, yeah, it's that that whole premise. Exactly. He does have a lot of Marty McFly in him. Like, he's very... <laughs> ins- but he's still, like, you know, heroic and, um, like, wants what's best. And so basically what happens is that around Ryle and DNS, there's this, like, party that's formed of... Um, there's a dwarf that goes with you... There's an elf chick that mm-hmm. shoots bows and arrows that goes with you. Okay. There's another golem that I've gotten. And then the other weird thing is that, um, and this is, like, part of it, the, like, there's nothing in this game that makes me, like, really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but this is, like, the most anime part where there's this 12-year-old girl who's, uh, she's, like, a samurai chick, kind of. Okay. Like, she, the other ones look very Western, kind of medieval fantasy, like, like, sort of, like, the stylized version of, like, medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. But she looks way more Eastern. And so, like, she's okay. supposed to be, like, representing, like, the Eastern, like, Japanese kind oh, of culture. Okay. Um, but what's creepy about her, not about her specifically, but, like, all the villains, mm-hmm. they, like, hit on her. Oh. And so it's, like, there's, like... this 12-year-old girl. Yeah, and, like, mm. there's this weird, like, you know, Ryle's always, like, trying to defend her. And then it's, like... But that's that's the one thing that's kind of weird is... um. I, it's hard for me as, like, somebody who, fi- who like, considers themselves, like, woke or, like, socially conscious. Yes. And then you consume this media that's, like, like you're sort of, like, you're wanting to enjoy it just for what it is. What it's offering. But then you're, like, well, what, this is, like, some really weird, like, gender politics because it's, like, <laughs> okay, there's this weird subplot about this, like, 12-year-old girl who's constantly getting hit on by these, like, older villains. And then some of the villains, too, are, it's, like, okay, some of the character portraits are just, like, cool anime one. But then there's, like, this one demon chick who's, just like, like yeah. huge boobs, like, just pressed up against her, like, giant cleavage, and, like, that's her portrait. Yep. So it's kind of, like, <laughs> so there's that whole, and, and that's just kind of fascinating to me, and, like, seeing how that anime, like, culture kind of, like, seeps into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that you 
kind of got like an idea of like the yes. the style. The gameplay is very it's like cut and try JRPG. So you're it's like going from town to town, okay. um, buying supplies and weapons. You get a quest or like the next thing that you need to do, like an item that you need to get, mm-hmm. or uh, um, and then that'll kind of like lead you to a dungeon. And so a lot of what the actual game is is like crawling around dungeons, going through combat, okay, getting fighting harder and harder monsters. And I'm um, I'm playing on hard mode, which is for people that have already played JRPGs. Okay. And so, like, the combat is a little challenging. So you actually do need to know, like, how to use your buffs or how to oh, okay. um, form the best party for each situation. And then there's also the whole paper, scissors, rock kind of combat. So it's right. like, oh, you're a fire enemy, so I'm going to use my water spell against you. And oh, okay. Kind of so it's got it's got that under base. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like very... So that part sounds very generic JRPG. Yeah, but it's, it's cool for a mobile game because, well, one thing it lets you do is you can save anytime you want. Okay. So unless you're in a battle... You can just save your game, and then it does a pretty good job, too, of, like, just if you go to your home screen, you can come back to it. Okay. And um, I think it's just, the reason I like it is because it seems to have more of the depth. Like, mm-hmm. whereas Sonic, Dash, and Super Mario Run seemed kind of like watered-down versions of the games that they're trying to be. Yes. This game, Symphony of the Origin, seems to be, like, it seems to have pretty much everything that a JRPG has. Right. Like, including tons of talking, but, yeah. So, one thing that you mentioned is that, like, you can go to your home screen and come back to the game and pick it and pick mm-hmm. it up really quick. I think that's really important for any kind of mobile game. Yeah. Any mobile game where you're, you know, playing the game, playing the game, it's like, all right, I have to put it down now. And you put it away, and if you get back to it, it's going to take 30 seconds for it to load up. Yeah. It puts itself in a lot of trouble, just because, you know, we're in a day and age where you might have... If you're playing something on your phone, you do not have that much time to play it normally. This is what you're doing in between everything else. Exactly. And yeah, it does, it has a lot of, um, yeah, pick up and play kind of feel to it. And it's mm-hmm. like very user friendly in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think that's, so I think that mentality of, you know, you have to be able to load your game really quick is why you have these games that play quicker, like Super Mario Run and mm-hmm. are lighter. And, you know, you can get in, do a level and get out in like less than a minute. Yeah. Um, whereas, where in that, um, in what was the name again? Symphony of the Origin. Symphony of the Origin. <laughs> um, you still have that same mechanic because the, I'm guessing the battles take. Yeah, like the battles are fairly seconds. short. Unless you're in a bat uh, in a boss battle, mm-hmm. then the battles themselves are fairly short. And it's kind of like what I do is like if I'm playing, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna fight this battle and then like get to the next treasure chest and mm-hmm. like, okay, now it's time to go do something else. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like for those like little in between periods of your day. And that's just kind of like how I use smartphones. Like, I don't have a data plan. Mm-hmm. So unless I'm on Wi-Fi, I can't get on the internet. But that's why, like, apps are fun. Because it's like, if it's an app like the game, yeah, you just pick it up, play it. And then that's what I do instead of, like, going on to Reddit or Facebook Reddit or something. Reddit browsing, browsing the internets, yeah. Um, before we do wrap up, I did okay. want to recommend one uh, really classic JRPG. Okay. Um, if anybody wants to play a game that I think... There's... In the 1990s, I would say that's the golden age of Japanese role-playing games yeah. as far as, like, when they, like, first were becoming very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantasy Star 4 for the Sega Genesis. Fantasy Star 4. It's uh, okay. fantasy, fantasy with a PH. But it's kind of like, uh, instead of being, like, the traditional medieval fantasy, it's I would call it, like, science fantasy. Uh-huh. So it's got, like, this sci-fi setting. You can, like, fight with androids that are on your side. Mm-hmm. You go to different planets. Mm-hmm. You have vehicles. It's really neat. Was this a game that you could play online with friends? There was a Fantasy Star Online that came out for Dreamcast later. Okay, that's and it's what, the okay. same universe, but mm-hmm. this is like more of the classic, like pixelated, sixteen-bit look. Okay, 
But um, if anybody has ever played like Chrono Trigger or Final mm. Fantasy VI, I'd say it's as high a caliber as those kinds of games. So okay. just like incredible music. Um, combat mechanics are really cool. This was one of the first games where you could do macros, where you program oh, wow. you program a series of attacks, and like you'll have two characters that will attack at the same time and do like a super heavy hmm. attack. Okay. Um, there's no cutscenes. But what they like as far as like movie cutscenes, mm-hmm. but you have like comic book panels basically oh, that'll okay. tell the story. So you'll see like the dialogue, and then you'll see like the anime drawing of mm-hmm. the people. Um, and that's just one like the the reason I bring up Fantasy Star Four is because it's the same kind of game that Symphony Origin is trying to be. Okay. But it's just like as developed and rich as possible, and it's one that I feel has kind of been overlooked because. I think for people that have Super Nintendo growing up, they play Chrono Trigger and Fantasy and Final yeah. Fantasy VI, but this is just as good. And I believe um, you can find it probably for some sort of like Sega downloading. Yeah, I think probably, there's a way to pay for it. There's but, probably an emulator online. Yeah, um, you can definitely pay for it, play it on a Genesis emulator. But I think there might be ways to download it, like if uh, if you want to purchase it legally. Okay, it like, like on that. Steam or yeah, GOG. it would probably be something either. I don't know if Virtual Console would have it because it was a Sega game. Mm. But whoever whoever is putting out Sega's old games, <laughs> <laughs> they might have it. Which I think has usually been Nintendo recently. Yeah. They've been picking them they up. They might have it, or you might be able to find it on some kind of, like, cool, um, like, compilation oh, okay, yeah. kind of games. Mm-hmm. But, or just, you know, go back, fire up your Sega Genesis, yeah. and uh, go buy it on eBay for, like, $200 or whatever yeah. it is Well, now. the thing that's crazy is because it is such a huge game, I remember when I first saw it at, like, Toys R Us, like, in the 90s, it was, like, $100. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. New. I think wow. when I bought it, it was, like, after it had been out for a while, it was, like, 50 or $60, so, like, the price of a normal game. Wow. But for its time, it was kind of, like... A feat mm-hmm. because of how rich and um, complex it is. It's it's a really really good game. So if you're into those kinds of games, I heavily heavily recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's. Uh, I'm gonna start wrapping us up uh, now. Sounds good. Wrap us up like a pretty <laughs> present. Yes, <laughs> like a special burrito. Okay. Mm. Um, well, we did want to thank uh, danosongs.com for our intro and outro music. If anybody needs some royalty free music, that is an excellent resource to get some thanks dano thanks dano and if you would uh like to uh, support um hip squared and american fantastic the easiest way to do that is to find us on patreon you can find american fantastic on patreon and like the sign says anything helps um you can also go to americanfantastic.com for more audio content um so all of our episodes of hip squared are on there the american fantastic radio hour recorded at art fm mm-hmm. is all there there's all kinds of like stories and photos and anything that you would like to entertain yourself with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i'm also going to plug an event that i'm going to be at in oh louisville. yeah i've seen it on facebook so if you are in louisville um or near louisville in the environs and you want to come out for some cool storytelling and poetry, the River City Review okay. is going to be at the Bardstown. Um, it's always the last Thursday of every month, and uh, this month I'm going to be one of the featured readers. It's February 23rd. Okay. And I believe that probably starts around 7 o'clock. I would have to check the Facebook event for that. Right. But if you are in Louisville, uh, River City Review is a really great reading series. There's all kinds of cool art stuff going on in Louisville, but that's one that I will be participating at. Uh, if anybody would like to come out, Troy, did you have anything that you wanted to add? Oh, uh, I don't think so. I think we, I think we covered everything I needed to, and right. uh, I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, mm-hmm. Stay tuned in, and we will see you next time on Hip Squared.
Toodles. Toodles.